launches his body onto the ball. Now they hack a kick forward. Hawkins with strength. Just too big, too strong, and too good in the end. Hello and welcome to the Cats Whiskers once again. I'm Wes Cusworth, joined by Mark Brunger, Anthony Petkovican, while dragging himself away from the cricket. Mark Browning even joins us. You must be in your element. We've got test matches in England bookending a bit of Australian experience over there in Sri Lanka. You must be loving that, Mark. You being the uh, multi-sport man that you are. Well, Wes, uh, thank you. My my body is in East Geelong, but my mind is in Gaul, Sri Lanka, definitely. Um, especially when you see that ground bathing sunlight. What a place. What, what a cricket ground. Sensational. But, uh, no, the, the football is very important and uh, we're getting towards the business end and some really serious things are happening. So, yes, let's put the mind towards that, shall we? We shall indeed. Anthony Petkovic, I believe that uh, you rate uh, Geelong's success over Richmond as potentially one of the games of recent seasons. Absolutely. It had absolutely everything in it. Uh, the Cats were fantastic. Richmond weren't too shabby either, though I uh, can't say the same about their nut job supporters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark Runger, where did you take the game in? I uh, sat at home in uh, front of my TV here in uh, Geelong. Uh, unfortunately, I had other um, other things on on Saturday nights that, that precluded me from uh, from getting to to Melbourne. But uh, I think um, I was a bit worried at one stage there that my neighbours may have called the authorities to actually come and uh, uh, basket me up, put me in the uh, straitjacket and send me off to uh, to the local facility. Uh, such was the excitement in the Brunga Lounge Room at uh, Marshall uh, through the course of that, uh, that last quarter. Well, Tom Stewart was the big talking point. Let's start with you, Mark Browning, and your assessment of was the four-week suspension appropriate? Uh, yes, it probably was, Wes. Probably Tom Stewart agrees with me and the tribunal. He was disappointed in himself, concerned for uh, the Prestia. Uh, just don't think there's any way around it. It was a bad mistake. Um, from a parochial Geelong point of view, it's a pity we're going to miss him for four weeks, although it's better now than, than the, at the end of the season and into the finals. Uh, he's made a decision to bump and missed his target and hit him in the head and um yeah just has to wear the penalty as, as we all do as Geelong fans but was impressed by the way he knuckled down he wasn't distracted by uh, what were they Anthony the nut jobs booing him for the rest of the game um can I just in defense of Richmond nut jobs say that it was a fantastic I was at the game it was a fantastic atmosphere uh, Geelong supporters, they don't want to become nutjobs, but they could learn a thing or two about passion for their team. Uh, Geelong home game, 60,000 there, 40,000 Richmond supporters, by my estimation. So um, it just that added to the occasion, and it's, a, it's an atmosphere that you don't get at Kenya Park anymore. 
I don't know whether the other guys agree, but yeah, just a great night, and I was so pleased I was there. Yeah, spot on with everything you said there, Mark. Um, I felt like the Christians felt like in the Colosseums back in Rome, uh, such was the volatility of the uh, crowd. The umpires made not one single correct decision in all of Geelong's 25 free kicks. I can uh, vouch for that. Um, but uh, in terms of Tom Stewart, yes, it was always a three or four weaker. Um, he chose to bump. He got him in the head. And the, the competition and players across the competition understand that perfectly well. No player goes out um, like one, one great age scribe, Michael Gleeson, who might have a relation on the tribunal. Uh, Tom Stewart did not intend to bump him in the head. He intended to bump, but it wasn't to the head. Um, that was the accidental part of it, but we know that that's, that's the situation now. He did not run past the ball either. I'm, I'm very shocked about that being labelled a mortal crime. The ball was tapped away at the last second. He had uh, less than half a second to react to that. Um, players run past the ball all day. They run past the ball to interfere in marking contests. They run past the ball at stoppages around the ground at boundary throw-ins. Um, Richmond players ran past the ball that enabled to try and cover Joel Selwood when it was Tom Atkins that got the uh, penultimate clearance from the centre bounce. Players run past the ball all day. It's not a it's not a criminal offence and shouldn't be made out to be one. Yeah, look, I, I agree with everything that, uh, that you've said so far, my learned colleagues. Um, I'm not going to pile on anymore. Um, I think... Uh, uh, you know, Tom Stewart realizes what he's done and and the error of his his judgment in that particular time, and um, he's handled it like a gentleman. He's done absolutely everything perfectly. Uh, he's owned up. He's uh, accepted uh, his penalty, uh, and and we move on. But I, I think it's it's going to be a little bit of a watershed moment in the in the game. Uh, all, all four of us can remember the. Um, uh, the good old days in inverted commas of AFL football where something like this wouldn't have even uh, rated a mention in the uh, classifieds of the Herald Sun, let alone be front page news for as many days as, as it uh, as it has been. And, and certainly we live in changing times. And I just think that that now the tribunal has sent the message loud and clear that if you if you want to if you want to bump, bump at your own peril because if it goes wrong, uh, you're going to have a little bit of a holiday, and I think uh, that will force a lot of rethinking by players as to how they go about tackling players who don't have possession of the ball. So I think that'll be the big outcome out of that. It's only three years ago, remember, that uh, Ryan Burton, when playing for Hawthorne, collected Sean Higgins when playing for North Melbourne and was given a get-out-of-free-jail card. That was only three years ago. Mm. Um, so the game has uh, moved on uh, very, very quickly when it comes to the bump. Yeah, the thing that I'm interested in, gentlemen, obviously from a Geelong perspective, we know what a, a massive loss that uh, Tom Stewart was in last year's final series for Geelong and, and ultimately potentially probably cost us um, uh, a really good uh, crack at the at the grand final. Uh, he's going to miss some pretty key games in the next few weeks, games against Melbourne. We also play Carlton in the next few weeks. So there's a number of those those top teams that, that we are going to get Western Bulldogs. Uh, it could be a very costly loss for Geelong. It's lucky that Geelong have the bye this week. Well... <laughs> We'll talk about that further as the program continues to unfold. I, before we leave Tom Stewart and that issue of the bump, I, I must ask, is there a place in the game for an in-game punishment like we see 
in rugby where, like, for example, at the State of Origin, there seemed to be some relatively minor indiscretions um, executed by one of the Queensland players, and he was actually sin-binned. Now, if this is a four-week punishment for Tom Stewart, is there a place, as there is at local level football, for red card, yellow card, some sort of sin-binning type situation? I think it's something they could review at the end of the season, but I would be against bringing it in halfway through the season when just because of one incident. If it's We've known people could get concussions from bumps for some time or other misdemeanours, uh, and the Andrew Gaff punch, I think, against Fremantle a few years ago. Perth listeners will know about that one better than us. Uh, there was talk of sending off then. Nothing happened. Certainly nothing should happen this season, whether they want to think about it for next season. We used to do all this stuff in the pre-season cup, didn't we, guys? And they would try nine-pointers or, you know, other other rules that, and see how they panned out when you actually played with them. Sandful seemed to do that now in, in South Australia, but nobody else seems to want to try and do that in the pre-season comp anymore. Is that where they should look at that? I, look, I think for me the, the the problem is is I don't think that that player should be like th- there is some scope for for a send off of some sort, but I don't believe that should be a finite send off. So in other words, yep, okay, put put Tom Stewart on the bench for twenty minutes and say, okay, pal, you can't play for twenty minutes, uh, but you can't really matter the game altogether. I think that's just one bridge a little bit too far for mine. Um, so I'm, I'm not adverse to a to a send-off rule for, say, for a 20-minute penalty in the sin bin, but uh, the nature of our game is not a game that you can play for the rest of the afternoon uh, at the breakneck pace that it is with the potential of having only, say, three on the bench and then suffering two injuries and then only having one on the bench. I don't, I don't think that uh, a send-off rule for the whole game works in that type of setup. So I think there is some scope for something, but uh, I I would urge, as I always do with these sorts of things in the AFL, I'd urge caution and to think it out really clearly because the public are are just getting a little bit jack of the, the changes to the fabric of our game, and we've got to be very careful how we proceed with any further rule changes, I think. Yeah, there's not enough evidence. I don't think that there that 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 thuggery, which this would be the the key cause of a send off, is is part of our game. I think that most players show a respect for one another and, generally speaking, a duty of care. What happened on Saturday was largely an accident. Players run into each other all the time. The problem in this instance was that Tom Stewart had other options, and he executed it poorly. It wasn't a case of a deliberate act in itself. And I think that uh, the vast majority of league footballers um, understand their responsibility to one another. And even in the heat of the moment, um, the incidents do occur, but generally speaking, they're uh, generally part of the play. And um, I would be against a send-off rule unless there was real further evidence that, that, that that thuggery and uh, deliberate taking out of opponents was part of the game. And I don't think it has been for a long, long time in our game. I would suggest if you want uh, the younger generation to define thuggery, go and, go and find a DVD or find it on YouTube, uh, something called the uh, Sensational 70s or the Electrifying 80s. 
which were uh, shows that were put out with the highlights. I use an in inverted commas uh, of uh, some of the things that used to happen on the on the field back in the seventies and eighties. And if you want to see what real fuggery was, that that'll give you a fair idea. And I think we've we've sanitised the game sufficiently uh, for it to be a very very rare situation indeed. Grab a copy of the 1971 grand final between St Kilda and Hawthorne. Um, There were about 50 acts of wanton violence. There was not one single report. Um, So you'll get the idea. In fact, there were parts of that game that David Parkin said were played without a football. Battle of Windy Hill 1974 is a good one too, the Richmond-Essendon game. If they'd had a send-off rule that day, there would have been no players in the second half. They would have sent the whole lot off. (laughs) Because <laughs> they're all building into each other, the whole lot. If you've ever seen it, uh, Mel Brown's greatest moment as a footballer. Well, and uh, one well, one player at the tribunal claimed that he wasn't punched; he was kicked by a policeman's horse. <laughs> there we have it. Uh, any further comments with regard to the future of the bump, Anthony? Well, only that it is an intrinsic part of our game. It's it's hard to make. Uh, our game a a non-contact sport. But players have to take responsibility. They get it wrong. They're going to suffer a penalty. Um, Unless you want football played like it was between West Coast and Essendon last Friday night where they did play touch football. Tackling was banned. Tackling was banned. Mm, Well, I wonder what our uh, Eagle supporter friends think of that one. But uh, let's stick with the Tom theme. Our esteemed friend... uh, Mr. Gus Marini has actually asked us to uh, consider the question, Tom Atkins, is he the new Tom Liberatore? He has certainly changed his game and he's become a, a mightily important part of the Geelong lineup when for a long time he was a fringe player, but he's become an integral part of the side now. Yeah, I, look, I, I think Tom Atkins is uh, absolutely primed to take over the role of Joel Selwood in the centre. Uh, for many years, Joel was that bull in the in the centre circle that would just get in there at centre bounces and just work as hard as he possibly could to get the ball out and get it down forward as quickly as possible. And that's exactly the role I see Tom Atkins playing at the moment. He's as hard as a cat's head uh, and he uh, finds the ball quite well. And importantly, he uses the ball really well. So I think uh, there's a lot to be said for him, uh, a bit of a changing of the guard with, with Joel Selwood and uh, taking up that mantle in the centre. And I can only imagine what it's going to be like, boys, when Paddy Dangerfield gets back in there to have two cat's heads in the centre there and going hard at it. Paddy who? <laughs> uh, Tom Atkins You're a harsh man, been, uh, Anthony. You're a harsh Tom, man. Tom Atkins has been a revelation and uh, has been one of the three key reasons why Geelong's season has turned around in the last five weeks. Him going to the middle has added a complete new dimension to the game. Um, playing Jeremy Cameron higher up the ground uh, has been uh, a real asset for Geelong as well because he is such a beautiful user of the ball, his great athleticism to cover ground. Of course, he's a fantastic decision maker, so why wouldn't you use him higher up the ground? Um, and, I, and I think uh, the, the third area of Geelong's improvement has been uh, the, the arrival of Stengel as a, as a genuine, real opportunist forward um some of his play in the last quarter on uh, saturday was breathtaking that little final uh, attack on the ball at full speed to be able to turn a half circle kick the ball 45 meters into the goal square without 
actually facing the goals was uh, a remarkable piece of athleticism and skill. Which leads I think us- he's nearly one of the best kicks I've ever seen at hooking the ball over his shoulder. Like, guys can do it, but often they'll go up in the air or they'll go off the side. <laughs> he seems to be able to kick goals and get it down to the forward line all the time. Uh, getting back to Tom Atkins, I got a feeling he sampled the midfield maybe even in his first season. I remember a really good game against Essendon, what would that be, four years ago? But he obviously works really hard at his game and, and he's got a, um, a good approach to it. So um, fingers crossed he can sustain that, that midfield role, that key role. We spoke about uh, the outstanding performance of Tyson Stengel, but obviously the, the man that was probably the saviour in the end was Jack Henry, and we must give a fair bit of credit there. That was an awfully courageous mark. It was a brilliant mark and, uh, you know, came at just the right time in the right way. Um, he's probably enjoyed his comeback game down the forward line. What a pity now that Tom Stewart said he'll probably be in the back line for at least the next four weeks. Uh, but good to see him back. Uh, he's, you know, a young up-and-coming player and um, a key part of Geelong going forward and potentially at either end of the ground because what was what was crucial about it too was that Tom Hawkins probably had his worst game for the last three years. I don't know where he was at, whether the heavy training load is taking a toll on him. Uh, gentlemen, Hawkins on the way out, Henry on the way in. Is that how it's going in the near future? Oh, I wouldn't have thought I'm so. I'm a hard man. Bloody hell. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought so. I think um, obviously um, Sam DeConing is the one that they have their eye on uh, for, for a forward line role at some stage. But... I'd also put a bit of a uh, bit of a circle around Shannon Neal. I, I quite like his form. I've seen him in a few VFL games recently, and I I like his um, ability to to take a good strong mark, and he's a really accurate kick for goal. So I think he potentially is is your uh, Tom Hawkins mark too. Yeah, Hawkins was still an influential player. Uh, he was heavily involved in the uh, score involvement side of side of things, and that. Uh, Brilliant kick to Stengel um, late in the last quarter where Stengel went over the top to Cameron in the square. was uh, Not too many players can, can pull off that sort of a kick under that sort of pressure. He was struggling to get to the contests at times, though, that seemed to be that his legs were heavy for yes. whatever reason. Uh, so, yeah, look, I, he's been fantastic for a decade. So, no, no, no criticism of Tom but it wasn't it wasn't his most uh, exciting night he, he was just a bit off the boil for some reason he didn't get a goal missed his easy shot uh does happen and the thing him. we know about Tom is that uh, he usually follows a bad game with a really really good one so uh um it's a pity we've got the bye this week <laughs> uh, well I mean I was going to suggest that he might kick a few at the training run well, yeah, well a good training run on Saturday night would be good uh might be a bit cold down there at Caninia Park, but uh, put a few witches' hats around to stimulate opposition. Put a few blue and white stripes on those witches' hats, and I'm sure you'll find it be putting them through the centre pretty quickly. So, where where are the issues for North Melbourne? What are the the problems they currently face? Apart from the fact that they've got a, a list that is depleted of experience and largely young emerging players that no doubt have got some great promise, but at the same time are far away from being really high-quality senior footballers? Oh, look, I'm yeah, they're sure a long way off. We, we haven't got a couple of hours to cover North. But one thing I am interested in with North Melbourne is that um, 
one of the gentlemen who was a key decision maker at the time when they cleared out a lot of experience from the club and left it bereft of talent in Jeff Walsh has now been asked to come back to the club and do a review. So it's highly likely that he could find himself guilty of past crimes against the club and have to sanction and censure himself. Well, I was going to I was going to suggest that uh, the uh, the the answer to the question is is that Jeff Walsh will find out what the problem is. There's no doubt about that. Look, I, I don't think there's terribly much uh, that that North Melbourne can do at the moment. It, it's 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 all about process, I think, at the moment. And I know that's a, a very very much overused word in AFL circles at the moment. But but let's be honest, they cut the absolute living daylights out of that out of that squad. Um, last year, uh, and it takes a long time to build that talent back up again. So in a lot of cases, David Noble is actually teaching a lot of these players how to play football for the first time. So uh, that's going to take a while to embed itself and to uh, to actually uh, start to, to have effect. And, you know, like they started off okay last year and they've dipped a little bit this year in, in terms of their KPIs and things like that. Uh, which is another amusing term in the game of football. It just means they're not getting the football uh, <laughs> in Jack Dyer language. Um, but but I think there is promise there. If, if they can if they can get the two priority picks that the AFL is discussing uh, at the moment, and I think they they've probably deserved those priority picks at this stage, then treat them very very carefully and try and maximise as much bang for their buck as they can from those priority choices. Plus also they'll, they'll probably end up with the number one draft pick uh, as well. Uh, then, then I think they're probably, you know, maybe three to five years away from, from getting back to being competitive. But, gentlemen, that's the price for bottoming out, isn't it? Well, if you're a Carlton supporter, I think you'd think that uh, maybe there's another solution to the problem. And you mentioned, David, Noble Mark, but uh, and te- him teaching them how to play. Um, I just think that he might have to pack his blackboard and chalk up and uh, vacate the premises in the near future. The way they're going, I don't think the North supporters are going to have that much more patience. I think North are going to look around for uh, somebody with a higher profile and more status than, than David Noble. And I'm not saying he's not a good cho- coach. I don't know the guy, but they're just they, North supporters want to see some progress. You don't have to win every game. It's okay to be down the bottom of the ladder up to a point, but you, you want to see the players that you can are going to take you up the ladder. That's what Carlton couldn't see. They knew they had a better list than their results, and I think North expect that they've got a list that, while it might not be a top eight side or whatever, that they, they shouldn't be, what is it, one and 14 or something and not even getting close in any game. So, yeah, I'm sorry for David Noble. I reckon his days are numbered. They're the first club in modern history to drop 10 consecutive games by 40 points or more. And some boffins within AFL circles want to send them to Tasmania. I ask the question, do we hate Tasmania that much? Um, Now, another one that... uh... Well, another name that has come into the limelight in recent times and also in relation to Tasmania is that of Eddie Maguire. And, Anthony, I believe you've got an issue with Ed, Eddie. Well, cool. who doesn't have an issue with Ed these days? But um, uh, the idea, some of the ideas that come out of Eddie's mind, out of his mouth, are, uh, are purely ridiculous. But 
The new Collingwood president also has a bit of a problem with uh, with uh, jokes. Apparently, joking is not allowed in the uh, lexicon of AFL football these days, particularly any joke that has uh, Jordan Degoe's name mentioned as part of it. Um, I'm sorry, but it's just a joke, folks. Uh, get over it. And please don't be offended that I'm not as outraged by how outraged you are. Yeah, look, I think the... The whole thing with with Eddie is that he's a constant thought bubble. He's always thinking, and, so, and sometimes, as we know with thought bubbles, sometimes there's those that are best left to the internal monologue in our head, and then sometimes there's the ones that you can actually release out the mouth and speak and know that you won't be looked at and thought of as a bit of a deal. And I think sometimes Eddie's internal monologue shuts down and they all just come out at times. Um, I, um, I, I don't necessarily agree with anything that Eddie McGuire has to say in favour of Tasmania. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there's only one way for Tasmania to do it. That's to make sure that they've got the backing of the government, got the backing of the AFL, and they've got the backing of local businesses to be able to to raise the money that they need to successfully put a team on the, on the field. They're not going to be able to field the whole team of Tasmanians. They're going to have to look far and wide for their talent. But at the end of the day, uh, I think it's, you know, it's 2022. If, if a traditional AFL state can't uh, get together and, and have a team in the national competition, then how strong is our national competition? I think uh, people see Collingwood as a law unto themselves or that they elevate their status above everybody else. So that, that tells against whatever comes out of the mouth of Eddie McGuire and, and the other um, aspects people that speak up on Collingwood's behalf. Well, I agree that Tasmania should have a team. Um, as I keep reiterating, uh, I can just see that there's no future, long-term future in the Gold Coast. So um, move them down there and call them South Coast or Tassie or whatever you want to call them. Build a stadium to the north, uh, north side of Hobart so it's easy for the people on the north coast to get down the road and they won't cost as much to the AFL as either GWS or Gold Coast because they'll have people who are passionate about their football team, which is what you're never going to get on the Gold Coast or in West Sydney. And exactly. our thoughts on the state of St Kilda right at the moment, lads. Where are they Where are they at? They're out they of form. Defeated, yeah, they defeated Geelong really handily. It was at Geelong's last loss six weeks ago and uh, they looked the goods. Uh, the first half of the season was brilliant, but uh, the last few weeks they've really, really stumbled. Um, they've lost sight of who they are and their their playing style. I, I, I just look at a team that looks miserable. They all look unhappy. They all look sour. They're all whinging, whining, pointing fingers. Where'd that come so quickly? I, I just don't understand for a team that, that looked so good for much of the first half of the season. It's almost like St Kilda are going back to traditional values in some respect. I mean, that used to be the St Kilda of old. I mean, you know, constantly losing games and sort of, you know, not having any sort of uh, way of of rising up the ladder and and becoming a successful club and all that sort of stuff. And then we had, of course, the, the Ross Lyon era where things started to become a little bit more successful. They dipped again. And now that they're just looking to to come good under Brett Ratton and look like a potential finalist, they're now looking as though they might actually not even make the finals. So I, I think it's a return to traditional Moorabbin values. I think their, their methods are a bit grim. They've had a lot of games where 
not many sides, not many, neither side scoring many goals. Uh, my solution to St Kilda is that they incorporate Baz McCullum into their coaching panel and that will lift the tone of the place <laughs> and make everyone enjoy what's going on around the club. And, you know, Max King will kick 12 goals and in by half time and be like Malcolm Blight days at St Kilda. The, the long <laughs> Malcolm Blight days, not the St Kilda Malcolm Blight days. Yes, well, you've brought it back to beautifully there, Mark Browning. As we're closing in on the completion of our program for this week, the innings, innings is almost over. Um, just in terms of Paddy Dangerfield, we made mention of him a little bit earlier. So where are we at with him in terms of, one, a return, and two, his management throughout the remainder of the season, given he's just that little bit older and clearly is struggling a little bit with some of the niggling sorts of injuries that are keeping him off the track? Well, as our learned colleague uh, Anthony alluded to, we do have a bye this weekend, so I would let Paddy have a rest. Uh, no use uh, endangering him against uh, such a uh, such an opposition that, that doesn't require him. And uh, G him up and get him ready for Thursday night because I tell you what, GMHBA Stadium is going to be rocking next Thursday night as the Cats take on the Demons. And I'd much rather have Paddy fit and raring to go for that game. Yeah, I wouldn't waste uh, Dangerfield's fitness on uh, a game against North Melbourne this Saturday, given that uh, there's such a quick turnaround, five-day turnaround um, for the Melbourne game the following Thursday. I know, I know Geelong, we, we shouldn't mock North Melbourne too much because they're in all sorts of diabolical strife. So I only say about the bias. How do you say that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to see how they can be ultra-competitive um, come this Saturday night. But um, given the quick turnaround, as long as the, the side that's picked is focused on uh, the job at hand, they shouldn't have too many difficulties beating uh, North Melbourne comfortably. No point thrashing them, just get the four points. Well, yeah, that's, that's fair enough, Paul. Um, Paddy Dangerfield, uh, along with other guys, and I mentioned the fact that Tom Stewart being out now is uh, less of an issue than if it had been later in the year. Because let's admit it, guys, we've had 10 years, nine out of 10 years where we've made the finals and been a bloody embarrassment. And, you know, we're going to measure the success of the season on how we go in the finals. And we're going to need Paddy Dangerfield out there and we're going to need all hands on deck. That's your best chance of really giving the premiership a shake. Um, We haven't discussed that there's still a couple of guys there that are fringe dwellers. I think maybe, uh, shall I say, Jake Collard-Jasney got a few bad press reports from certain members of this panel for his game last week. So there's still a couple of holes to fill and we need those guys to feel the pressure coming from underneath from their teammates that somebody else wants their spot. And that's the best way. So, yeah, Paddy Dangerfield has got to be right to go and play out maybe, let's say, the last six or eight games of the season. Yeah, Jake's Jake. College Jazz and he's a terrific player as as long as he doesn't get the ball in his hands. Well, that might be the uh, the end note for our program for this week. That's uh, unfortunately we've run out of time. We hope that our listeners through ninety one point three Sport FM have enjoyed the program. There's plenty of conversation around clubs other than Geelong, but hopefully you're following the Cats as they. Uh, move towards yet another final series. My thanks to Mark Brunger, Mark Browning and Anthony Petkovic. On behalf of the team, I'm Wes Cutsworth saying goodbye for now.